then President Obama made the announcement uh, that, uh, you know, uh, because of all the war that was going on, the terrorist uh, attack, um, they've been just, the U.S. government was trying so hard to get uh, Osama bin Laden, right? And the day came when finally they got him. And then I remember, like, that on TV, people were showing that there were people that were just going to, like, the D.C. area. And they were like, yeah, we got him, we got him. Because it took him, like, over 10 years to get him. But finally got him. It was through the, the Navy SEAL. And they were able to accomplish that mission. And that's something that I want to talk about today, the mission of the church. Mission, the word, comes from the Latin word missio, meaning to send to send or sending the church, the universal church that, uh, you know, including every local congregation like us uh, or any, any other church out there, and every Christian in it is sent into the world to fulfill a definite task. You know, when you lose sight of the mission of any organization, it spells trouble. Can you imagine? A unit of seal sent on a mission, but they somehow forget their mission and are they are really distracted by their circumstances, right? Um, and so even that seal unit that just went was sent into Pakistan uh, covertly and then just uh, carried out the mission. Can you imagine if they're oh you know it's just too dark or like there's just too many unknowns and like they get really distracted and then not really accomplishing their mission, right? It spells trouble if you lose sight of the mission, the reason why any organization exists. The church has a mission to accomplish. The late John Stott, a theologian, he said that the living God is a missionary God. Our God is a missionary God. The whole evangelism and missionary enterprise stem from the fact that our God is on a mission. He's on a mission. The Father sent the Son on a mission. And when he accomplished his mission, then the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit on a mission. See, the, the whole topic of being on a mission is useless unless we understand that it really flows from who God really is. As I explained, the Father sending His Son on a mission. And then once that mission was accomplished, the Father and the Son then sent the Holy Spirit on a mission to establish the church, nurture us, to set us on fire for Him to live for him. Because God is, because it's, it flows from who he is. And he is on a, God is on a mission. Therefore, we are to be on a mission with God as well. The mission of God, we are to partake in. You know, R.C. Sproul, um, he asked this question to, uh, when he used to teach seminarians, uh, the late uh, R.C. Sproul, um, he would ask seminarians, who is the first apostle, right? And he would say that most of the seminarians are, oh, that's easy, it's Apostle Paul, right? Or 
Peter, James, John, right? One of the 12. So that's usually the answer that he would get from his seminarians. But if you look at, once again, the word apostle, it means the sent one. The one that was sent on a mission, he was saying, no, it's not the apostle Paul or Peter, James, and John, and all these other guys. He was saying, it is actually indeed Jesus. Jesus is the first sent one and the specific mission. John chapter 20, verse 21, I think we have it. Is, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He's speaking to the disciples. As the Father sent me into this world, he was sent on a mission to redeem the people of God. So this passage that we read, famously known as the Great Commission, I'm sure you guys all heard the word, the Great Commission. It tells us what our mission really is. The work of worldwide witness and making disciples and planting churches. That is really the essence of the Great Commission. The worldwide witness and making disciples of all nations, of all people group, various uh, people groups, and planting churches. And there are four aspects, as we read here, of the Great Commission. Go, right, the command is to go, make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. Of the four aspects, we're going to be focusing on going. Today, I mean, it's just beyond the scope of this message to focus on all four commands. So we're going to be focusing on going part today. Fundamentally, the church's mission is to proclaim Jesus Christ everywhere as God incarnate, Lord and Savior, and make it known to people that God invites us to have this true life through repentance and faith in Christ. That is, the, the, at the, bot, and the bottom line, is that is our core mission. The reason why I exist as a church. Paul's ministry as an evangelist and as a church planter is a model to follow. When we look at Apostle Paul, his life, his ministry mainly consisted of going to different places, preaching the gospel, telling people about who Christ is, how they are to repent and turn from their wicked ways and turn to him in faith. And then continuing, everywhere he goes, he tries to plant churches or tries to encourage the, uh, the, the churches by uh, discipling them, teaching them. That is the model for us to follow. You know, they say that um, there is one thing that we cannot do as Christians in heaven, and that is evangelism, right? Like worship, fellowship, serving, all those other aspects of Christian, uh, Christian, things, uh, Christian life, Christian living, we can still do in heaven, right? We, can still, we will still worship God. We will still fellowship with uh, other fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. But you cannot engage in evangelism, even if you want to, in heaven. 
there will be no other people who do not know God in heaven. Many of us will likely say, Pastor Wijin, I will do anything that you would ask. I will do anything you ask me to do. You want me to volunteer for VBS? Hey, okay, all right, I'll just take some time off and I will volunteer. Soup kitchen, I'll do it. You want me to attend every single like small group there is? Or the Friday large group that we're going to have this Friday? I will be there, right? But just not evangelism, please. Evangelism, it's just not my thing. It's not my forte, right? I just, please, yeah, I'll do anything else that you would ask me to do. Discipleship, yes, I am 100% behind it. And that has been my excuse, too, as a pastor, right? I would say, okay, you know, my, my job is to, you know, just disciple people so that I will just focus uh, most of my attention and energy and everything on making disciples. Hey, I am doing this, so this should basically make up for my lack of evangelism evangelistic mindset and the lifestyle that I am, I am called to live. That has been my excuse. My, my guess is that maybe many of us would probably feel that way. We, are, we have no issues with being discipled. We have no issues with serving, volunteering, coming to church faithfully, giving, praying, having quiet time, all these things. But evangelism... Uh, not so much. Many Christians are intimidated by the prospect of evangelizing the unsaved. We are hesitant because most of us have had very little, uh, one reason is because we've had very little experience doing this. We don't really know what to say and how to even bring up the conversation. I mean, where do I even begin? Or... Even if the, the, the subject or the topic does come up, what do I say? What am I supposed to say? I don't really know. Also, the secular and pluralistic society that we live in tells us constantly that we cannot impose right, our private or personal beliefs on other people. They say you cannot shove it down our throat, their throats. You know, what you believe, fine. That is yours to believe. That is your business, but just don't force it on me. Tolerance is a virtue to uphold. It's such a supreme value in this society that you should be tolerant of people who are holding to different uh, belief system. that you have to respect everyone. So when that kind of uh, dominant narrative is, is in this society, we feel really pressured. It's like, oh man, I, I shouldn't really be talking about my faith. Because we are kind of intruding on other people. So there, there is another like, um, obstacle and the difficulty that we face as Christians to be a witness. And there is a sense of failure. I don't know about you guys, I've been, I've been to many um, instances where I felt like I failed because I would just work up in my uh, courage and share the gospel only to say, no, thank you, or like, you know, just stay away from me. 
there's one time like first my, my first year in, in college, uh, disciple, uh, my discipler and I we decided to do uh, you know evangelism. So we went up to went to a dining hall and then there was a guy that was sitting by himself. So I thought, okay, let's go. And so because that was my first time, I was like petrified. So he, uh, my discipler was gonna just lead a conversation. We started talking, uh, carrying a conversation, and then yeah, he was a, he was actually uh, to my surprise, he was open to talk about spiritual things. So just as we were about to go in, um, I guess there was a couple guys that was from his friends uh, that were kind of getting their food, and they just came. And uh, when they noticed that he was talking with us, he, they sat down, and um, when the conversation was about spiritual things, they said, hey, get out of here. Right? You, know, you, you don't know us. Get out. So we, we had to leave. Uh, even though the guy was open to talk. So, you know, I felt so, like, bad and, like, just a sense of failure, right? Even if you do try. Or maybe there's a sense of rejection. You, you, you know, just talk to them about the gospel, and then they say, no, no that's not for me. There's a sense of failure or a sense of rejection, right? That's another, like, reason why people are hesitant to engage in evangelism. But Mark Dever says, the result of evangelism is not equal to evangelism. A lot of people, we associate what, how people respond to our witnessing is also, that we consider that's, that's, uh, that's evangelism. So when people say no, they will say, oh, okay, rejected, we failed. I don't want to do this again because we just keep feeling that we are failing in our evangelistic efforts. But what he said is, no, result of evangelism is not evangelism. There are two separate things. What we are called to do is to faithfully present the gospel to people. Whether they receive it or not, it's not up to us. Salvation does not belong to us. It belongs to God. So that is entirely up to God, what he does with that, right? But what we are called to do is to, to plant the seed Sow the seed of the gospel in the hearts of the people who need it. So do not say, oh, because I didn't, oh, I didn't convert, convert the people that I failed in evangelism. No, absolutely not. You succeeded in evangelizing because you, as long as you were faithfully presenting the gospel, that you did what you were called to do. What happens afterward is not, has nothing to do with evangelism. The result of evangelism is not evangelism. Besides, um, so we shy away from it, you know, and as we are going through the New Testament reading. You know, Mark chapter 8, verse 38 says that um, yeah, if you are ashamed of me, right, I will be ashamed of you when the Son of Man uh, comes, comes in, in his glory, right? So we are not to be really ashamed of the gospel, and what complicates it even further is this, uh, these days, a proliferation of the remote work setting, right, since the pandemic. Hardly any interaction away from the screen time these days. As you guys, many of you guys know, I started a, a, a new job uh, recently, about a week and a half ago. Um, and other than the first day that I was, uh, other than the first day when I had to get the, the work computer, after that, I've been just working from home. And so not knowing uh, my coworkers like that well, and I only see them in the screen time, right? 
And that's it. Other, other, outside of that, I'm just on my own, doing my own job, right? It's, it's very difficult when you have that kind of environment. And many of us have this remote work setting. There is no this water cooler, like get, you know, getting around, in the, around the water cooler and having a quick conversation, right? Many years ago, when uh, I did have a, a full-time job when I was part of a church planning, uh, church plant, and um, I had a full-time job, and so I was able to, you know, obviously during that time, you just go in every single day, so I was able to build relationships with people, and I was able to uh, present the gospel to some other people. Uh, I remember even just the, um, the guy who hired me, the, the, the hiring manager, right? Um, like, one time I asked to have lunch with him, and then I, I shared the, I, that, that was a really nervous time, because um, he's my boss. I was telling him about, about my faith. Um, but that was possible only because we've had that we were able to build rapport over time. But I know now it's a work, uh, remote work setting. It's really difficult. How can you, you can't really talk about other things outside of the, the actual like work, uh, just work, uh, the, the screen time. Under such circumstances, does it make sense to talk about evangelism? Absolutely, because it is a biblical mandate. It is the mission that God has given to us all, right? Not just to pastors or to missionaries or some kind of apology, you know, uh, people who are really, like, well-trained to defend the gospel. It is not only to these people, but to all of us that we are called God commands us. So it's not even, yes, absolutely, like in terms of the motivation, we have to be kept, and I'm going to talk about that, be captivated by, uh, by the truth of the gospel and that that will really compel us. But at the same time, it's not just that. It is a command that we are to follow, whether we feel like it or not, whether we are intimidated by it or not, whether the circumstances uh, makes it more conducive to evangelism or not. We are called to obey this command. We're not to simply stay within the walls of the church and be satisfied with our own holy huddle. Like, you know, a setting like this. Believers coming together, worshiping God, praying, enjoying the fellowship. We kind of be in this comfort zone. This is our safe uh, haven away from the, the rough and tongue, you know, rough like jungle out there. So we feel like we just want to just get inside within the walls of the church and have a great time among ourselves. And then that's it, right? You know, Martin Luther once said this. The quote is, a religion that gives nothing. Do we have that? Yeah, yeah. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing, it's worth nothing. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, suffers nothing, it's not worth anything. The faith that we proclaim to have, the life that God has called us to live, it will require all of our being, all of our comfort, all of our energy, all of our time, We try to stay away from that and try to become 
a, a decent, okay Christian without giving much, without causing much of our anything, without really much suffering, it's worthless. I know it's a little like, hard saying today, um, but I really think it's true. It rings true. Jerusalem church is a good case in point. I mean, there were exciting things were happening there, right? In the, in the, uh, after the, the, uh, the Pentecost and just the, 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 the vis- uh, visitation of the Holy Spirit, right? Acts 2 describes an incredible fellowship and apostles' teaching that they enjoyed. And yet, God caused the church to be scattered through persecution so that they can go out and spread a gospel to people that they have not known. It needed to be done because they were content with what they were really enjoying. I mean, what more could you ask, right? You have this great fellowship. I mean, people were just giving all that they had to this general fund so that people, whoever had need, they would just receive help. And there is this really great teaching, solid teaching from the 12 disciples. I mean, they're the ones who have received, uh, you know, in firsthand experience, you know, received all the teaching from Christ himself. They were spirit-filled 12 disciples. What, could you, what more could you ask as a church other than having great fellowship, service, and worship, teaching, everything? And yet, there was still, there was one thing important thing that they were missing, that they forgot about the mission of the church. Elton Trueblood, the Quaker scholar, once compared evangelism to fire. Says, evangelism occurs when Christians are so ignited by their contact with Christ that they in turn set others, uh, set other fires. It is easy to determine when something is aflame, it, it ignites other material. And a fire that does not spread will eventually go out. A church without evangelism is a contradiction in terms. Just as a fire that does not burn is a contradiction. I remember when I was uh, living, um, I, I, I was in seminary. Um, I lived uh, with my uh, roommates. It's like a duplex where uh, we were living on the ground level, and then the second level, separate entrance, was, uh, uh, it was occupied by this uh, young couple. And one day, I, I was just by my, uh, home by myself um, in the middle of the day, and I just started hearing like, things that were just dropping upstairs. I'm like, no, that's kind of weird. Um, and it just smelled like there was something burning. So I went outside. And lo and behold, it was on fire, right? I was like, I freaked out. I was like, called the, uh, the fire department. They just came. And um, so, yeah, they, it, was, it was completely damaged. Um, I guess there was some kind of, they were away. It's the middle of the day, so nobody was home. Um, and um, something, some kind of like, uh, something sparked electronically. So it set on fire. Um, and it's a good thing that uh, I was home because, at least I was able to, it didn't spread out to other parts. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the cat that they were raised didn't make it. Um, so if they had to just take out everything there. Fire. You know it's on fire. Because it burns and it spreads. 
And he's saying evangelism is the same thing. A church without evangelism is a contradiction in terms. Just as a fire that does not burn is a contradiction. You know, one popular quote that we knock around among Christians, it is attributed to uh, Francis of uh, Assisi. It says, I don't know if you guys heard this. I heard it many times. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Has any of you guys ever heard that quote before? Maybe it's just me. I think maybe Pastor Jay may have heard it. So I heard it. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. At first, it's like, hmm, that's very interesting. So it's talking about lifestyle. Oh, I have to just kind of live a really such a distinguished or like uh, above reproach kind of lifestyle that, 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 that I am really preaching the gospel that way, being a witness to other people that way. And some people may be drawn to do prefer to do it that way. Yeah, I just, I'm just going to let my life, lifestyle, how I carry, my, carry myself around people, I'll be, that be my way of witnessing to other people. Anyway, the Francis of Assisi said this. Well, first of all, there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever that he has actually said that. It's simply not true. And also, it's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words, biblically. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Makes it very clear for us, in order for us to do any evangelistic endeavors, we are called to preach the gospel, present the gospel to people. So I, I, to be honest with you, for me, I'm still trying to, I'm just praying through it and say, how am I going to ever like present the gospel to my coworkers when all I'm seeing in them is only during the screen time for the work and I have no rapport with them? I'm just praying. But that does not give me an excuse not to really engage in evangelistic endeavor. The Christians in Acts spoke forth as they were just scattered. Wherever they went, Paul, wherever he went, he first went to the synagogues and preached the gospel. And then he would turn to the Gentiles in the marketplaces and other venues. The Great Commission is given on Christ's authority. Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Since his reign is universal, the gospel has to go to the whole world because his reign is not just only among in America or any other regions. It is universal because his reign and his authority is universal. We are to go and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this goal commandment is the primary reason for evangelism and missions. There just isn't any other way by which we can be saved. The gospel must be preached, and Christ must be exalted. And too many Christians 
are turning a blind eye to this goal aspect of the Great Commission, choosing instead an involvement, heavier involvement at church, thinking that that should somehow make up for the lack of evangelistic lifestyle. If we are honest with ourselves, and that be our inclination, I am, for one, that I tend to just focus more on other aspects of devotional life rather than really engaging in evangelism. The gospel is offensive to the modern mind because it points out the sinfulness in us. It's just not going to sound pretty. I know that. Um, if you are faithful to the gospel. But the gospel is no gospel at all unless we recognize our spiritual plight apart from Christ. We cannot simply kind of just you know, beat around the bush just so that we don't, we don't want to just like offend other people. If you just skirt around this whole aspect of our sinfulness, that our need for a Savior, and only just talking about, oh, you can go to heaven if you believe in Jesus without repentance, that is not, you are not, we are not being faithful. The gospel witness, if you do that, we have to go through that. And if they reject it, fine, right? We still have to speak about the truth and the, and the coming and the consequences of not trusting in Christ. Ezekiel chapter 30, uh, 33 talks about the watchman's trumpet. It's a hard saying, uh, but you know, it talks about how as a watchman, right, if you know that there's an impending uh, disaster that's coming upon, upon you and you see the enemy that's approaching uh, your uh, castle um, and the fortress, that it is your job, it is your call as a watchman to sound the alarm so you can just tell other people about what's coming, what they're about to face. And if you don't, right, people will die in their, uh, in their sin, um, but the blood will be asked on the watchman because he knew what was, what was coming and he chose not to say anything about it. God will hold that person accountable. Now, once again, I, I know like when we talk about evangelism, it is so easy to put a guilt trip on people, and that's not my intention at all, but just to be aware of, of the, um, the responsibility and the call that we have as Christians. I'm not trying to put any guilt trip on anybody here, but just the, the sober reality. Now that, now, that doesn't mean that we be obnoxious, right? I know there are people that are like, you know how like when you are walking on the streets, you know, there's a turn or burn kind of people, like, you got to go to hell if you don't believe in Jesus, right? At, at times it can be like so loud and it can be very obnoxious, right? That's not what we are talking about, right? You can still remain respectful. And, still, and, 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 and you can use bridging statements and secure permission to discuss the person's religious life, and to talk to them about Christ. Like, practically speaking, we can say something like, you know, we've known each other for some time now, but we've never discussed our relationship with God and Christ. Can I ask a question about that? And maybe, like, if you have some kind of relationship with the people, maybe that's a bridging comment. And if they say, no, I don't want to talk about it, well, you don't have to just try to just be obnoxious. But if that somehow opens the door, 
that, you, that person has given you permission to just, just move ahead, that you can just talk to them about the gospel. Or you can say, you know, I feel that I, mi- I need to apologize to you. You know, we are friends or coworkers or family, but I've never told you about something that's very important to me, my Savior Jesus. Can I tell you why I believe in him? That's, a, that's one way also to, you know, approach people. That's some, some people that you've known for a while and you're like, oh, man, I've never talked to them about Christian faith, my faith. How am I going to even just bring it up? You can just use bridging uh, statements and to see if, uh, to gauge their interest, right? Uh, for me, like, um, <laughs> there are times when um, I, you know, attended some this evangelism conference and they tell you, <laughs> go to the mall. <laughs> I would go to the mall and how I would just carry the conversation with the, obviously, I mean, it's not that really, uh, Recommended, but like the cold turkey kind of things, right? Then I would just, just practically speaking, I would say, hey, I just, I want to do a just religious survey. Um, and just, I would just ask you a couple questions. Would you mind just answering the question? And then, you know, just say, you know, are you sure you would go to heaven? Sure? I mean, it's, it's something that I learned at an evangelism class. So, you know, are you, know, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven tonight if you were to, if you were to die? Uh, and if they say no or yes, and then you would ask, you know, just if you were to be at the heaven, uh, the gate of heaven, and if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? So by their answers, you kind of know, you kind of gauge where they are, and if they are okay with it, then I can proceed with uh, presenting the gospel. Uh, if they say no, I don't have time, then okay, thank you for your time, and you move on, right? So there are different ways we can actually engage uh, in the gospel, uh, uh, talking about the gospel and I've, I've done that with my friends, um, you know, so it, it, it is possible. And once again, as I said before, we are not to evangelize because we feel guilty. You know, guilt and shame are some of the most powerful motivators. Anybody can really just shame you into doing something. Anybody can guilt you, make you feel guilty and condemned, feel bad uh, to, to, to do something, right? out of your comfort zone. But that's not the right way to motivate people. Rather, we are to be motivated by the beauty of the gospel. If you just think about it, stop and think about it, it is an amazing thing, right? Out of billions and billions of people in this world, while we are yet sinners, we have no purpose and meaning of our lives. Christ came and laid down his glory and splendor, came into this world and his grace. And by his grace, that he has opened our eyes to see the truth so that we could even repent and turn to him in faith. What have you done honestly before God that we could say, hey, God, I deserve this. I deserve your blessings, right? I'm pretty righteous. I am really good. I don't think that I'm really proud. What can we boast before an almighty, holy God to say that I deserve this salvation? I deserve to know you. Undeserving, wretched people like us are declared righteous 
through the sacrifice and resurrection of Christ. And now, because of that, what he has done, because he opened our eyes, now we can call God Abba Father. You know, Abba means daddy, like a really intimate term. That we could have this intimacy with God himself, God of this universe. What grace this is. Are we captivated by this truth and the beauty of the gospel that he would come and die in our place? Whenever I think about it, you know, I, I just give thanks to God, right? Man, how could God choose a person like me to be included in his family, to be co-heir with Christ for all eternity, I would have an inheritance independent of my own merit. I have done nothing to deserve anything that God would provide for me. But God came first and given his life for me. Are we captivated by this gospel truth? Does that really motivate us? Does that really just want us to live for him? Is the love of Christ, the gospel, compelling us? 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died the love of Christ compelling him and the fellow workers. As we know, as Paul did some horrible things before he knew Christ, now that he has experienced the love of Christ, it compelled him. Compelling. Not out of sense of guilt or shame, but out of the love for the Lord. He would compel him, meaning he would, have, he would have a burden for the lost. After he has experienced the amazing love and the grace of God, he could not just stay, could not just sit idle and say, hey, I just, I'm just going to get more involved in church because that's, that's my, my thing. Evangelism is not my thing. But as he was captivated by the beauty of the, and the power of the gospel, he could not sit still but to go and share the gospel with other people. So let me ask you, do you have a burden for the people around us, whether it be your family members, co-workers, neighbors? Do you have a burden? Or do you kind of look at people in our lives as walking trees. We know there are people, but it's just like trees. When we go walk by trees, doesn't do anything. I, maybe like when we are really taking in the, 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 the nature, we may appreciate the beauty. So, oh, it's really nice tree. But most of us, most of the time, we just have walk by without thinking twice about it. Is that how we consider people that God has placed in our lives who do not know Christ as people that are walking trees. No burden, no compelling 
desire to share, present the gospel? Let us consider our ways. Christ, as he was departing from this world, ascending into heaven before, this was the commission. This was the command that he has given us. Now that we have, God has opened our eyes, and now that we have experienced the power of God in our lives, now Christ calls us to go and do likewise to other people. Our job is to simply present the gospel, preach the gospel. It's not up to us to make them be saved. It's not our job. It's up to God. But for us, we are to be a faithful witness of what he has done for us. May, that be, uh, may we be, always be aware of the mission that God has given to us as a church. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. Let's take a moment to pray. Let's examine.